0: Hi, I'm JR. I'm Mark. And I'm Simon. And tonight, finally, we're getting round to our season six podcast, as voted for by you, the listener. Well, as voted for by 19 of you, the listener, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And us. and uh, so there's yeah. 23 people voted in this all together yeah. that's actually not bad though that's quite a nice cross-section i think i've mm. been really looking forward
1: to this because i want to see how it's going to pan out
0: oh really mm. oh maybe there'll be a few surprises along the way Ooh. did you not watch the votes as they came in no oh you must have had at least an eye on the votes as no they came i didn't in. want to spoil myself <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. I had other
2: things to do. <laughs> okay.
0: Well, I've got to tell you, I was shocked at the story that came in last. Not oh. the one you'd expect. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, my God. And not only that, the story that came first was a bit of a surprise as well. Hmm. I say that now. I won't be saying that later. Um, an email. <clears throat> and this has literally just come in as we were about to start recording, so I have no idea what it says, so I'm literally reading this live. Mark, you've read it. Have I to watch out for anything dangerous? I don't think there's towards. any effing and
1: jeffing in there that I can remember.
0: I'm not talking about effing and jeffing. I'm talking about half, getting halfway through a paragraph and realising it's about fellatio or something. <laughs> and suddenly realising realizing I've got nowhere to go. Uh, mm.
1: Well, where would the fun Which be in that if I told you already? Itself.
0: It's from Al No. Oh, it says to have
1: in it then. <clears throat>
0: Oh, my God, Mark, do you have to say it out loud? <laughs> Crikey. It ain't just the wind that's been blowing. <laughs> oh, sweet Lord. <laughs> Alno says, dear and the boys and JR, once again, I'm still on the train, so I'm sorry if this is a bit muffled. I'm about halfway through the return of the episodes episode, and I'd like to say, oh, that's why it's only just come in, because that episode's literally only just gone out this afternoon. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: He says, I'm about halfway through the Return of the Episodes episode. You can see how I'm enjoying reading this for the first time as I'm reading it out loud, can't you?
1: I can't see it, but
0: I can hear it. Well, I've had no time to process this information, so it's all coming completely (laughs) as a surprise to me. Uh. He's about halfway through the Return of the Episodes episode, and I'd like to say it's a delight to hear how happy you all are. Well, I mean, crying out loud, aren't we all? Isn't everybody... (laughs) I don't know anybody who's not happy about this. He says, I've only just stopped grinning at strangers myself, so I know how you feel. Exactly. Oh, in answer to your animation question then... Oh God, he's just put answers, so I'm going to have to try and work out what the questions were. He says, one, I'd quite like to see episodes four and five of The Reign of Terror animated by someone with an attention span. Mm. Ah... <laughs> mm. uh, Oh, Mark, were you about to say something there?
1: No, I was just reacting to the contentious... Well, it's not that contentious point, is it, really?
0: No, oh, a very good <laughs> Actually, point. Actually, episode, episode four jumps around, but episode five is a lot better.
1: I think it improves as it goes on, doesn't it?
0: Hmm. And then the, they did the Tenth Planet as well, where hmm. they'd obviously learn from some of their mistakes.
1: Yeah, I thought that was quite good.
0: Okay, this next one was the question, which extant story would you like to see animated, isn't it? And he says... The Rings of Akaten would be hugely improved by being animated in the style of Derek Jarman's Blue. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> Do you know Blue? Yes.
1: No, I don't, unfortunately.
0: Go on. Well, I'm glad that somebody doesn't because I'm going to have to explain this for any listeners who don't now, aren't I? Uh, Derek Jarman's Blue is it a silent is, film. No, it's uh, far from anything it. yeah. but a silent film. It's essentially a soundtrack for a film and a blue screen. Eighty minutes of just a blue screen with people talking on the soundtrack.
2: From from what I know, it was created uh, to reflect the fact that he lost his sight, didn't he, while he was uh, during uh, his uh, suffering of AIDS.
0: Ah, uh, that's right. Yes, absolutely right. Yes. yes, I'd forgotten that. I've never seen it, haven't you? But no, but I know. I think what it was it shown is.
2: once on Channel Four, wasn't it? Was it was a special showing or something, and I remember watching it.
0: Oh really? <clears> yeah, that sounds about right. Um, <clears throat> I've seen you know several of his other films, and they're not really to my taste. Anyway, did I, he do? I like the Tempest. Um, he did some
1: stuff with the Smiths, didn't he? Didn't uh, he do yeah, the, he did. Didn't Jubilee? he? he did that th-
0: Yeah. Th- was it that the three song video thing? Yeah. yeah didn't he do the yeah. thing
1: for the Queen is dead or
0: something?
2: Queen is dead. Ask and um, can't remember the other one.
0: The other
1: one.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah, that's right. Anyway, we'd better get on with the email, otherwise we won't have time to talk about the stories. He says, The Rings of Agatem would be hugely improved by being animated in the style of Derek Jarman's Blue. I could then turn the sound down and watch it with subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> I know that J.R. said it's always a good idea to approach something you don't enjoy with lowered expectations, as then you're more likely to be pleasantly surprised by the experience, and normally I'd agree and then jump in the swimming pool... But seeing as it didn't work for sprouts, I'm not convinced it will with musicals. Anyway, I've just missed my stop because I wasn't concentrating. Mustache, yours elatedly, Al. <laughs> bless oh bless him.
2: Ah, uh, not phalatedly.
0: Oh god. We're not in a <laughs> remotely patronizing move tonight, are we? Bless you. Uh, blow me. Oh Jesus. Uh Richard Hogarth says Hey guys, loving the podcast. I'm so happy that Patrick Troughton has had some of his episodes returned. It's great that one of the best doctors finally has some of his back catalogue returned. Hopefully fans and newbies alike will start to be able to appreciate a true gem in the series, who also paved the way for Matt Smith's incarnation. I wanted to say, JR, that I have to say I disagree about the Armageddon factor being terrible. I thought it was a really good story, and there have been worse stories. Um. Yes there have been worse stories No it wasn't a really good story And I'm sorry you're <laughs> wrong <laughs> <clears throat> Actually before we get into it We've got <clears throat> Two more emails Shall we do the other emails and then get into it yeah, i gonna save these for the end but let's do them Shall we mm. Um. <clears throat> Andrew Moore says Can you put the following to the panel One of whom has a big event on the 23rd
2: Who's that
1: It's me, I'm going to the cinema to
0: see uh, Doctor... Oh, no, I'm
1: not. (laughs) 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 He says...
0: He says... Actually, I need to talk to you about that afterwards, Simon, so remind me. Oh, OK. He says, Is it wrong to take your wife of 20 years away for your anniversary and then get her to start work late so that she can buy tickets for a cinema showing of the special? This after saying, when she bought you the Sharder box set, well, I only missed 30 years in the TARDIS... Because we were on bloody honeymoon. (laughs) I held out against going away for a long time because I want to watch it on my own bloody telly. The threat of extreme physical violence soon swung it, though. Now my 14-year-old daughter, who flies to Nepal on the 18th, is deeply pissed off as she expected me to be at home to Skype it to her. The pressures a 45-year-old geek has Mm. to bear. Mm. Mm. Well, maybe if
1: they drop a line to... uh podcast at yahoo.co.uk. Maybe Lee could have a word with his person who supplies his dodgy copies and sort them
0: out that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely sure that'll be necessary. No. He's talking about posting it to him. Oh, well, maybe. He's only going to miss it by a day, but he's going to be away wow. for that day. That's what he's saying.
2: David Adams' um, anniversary is the 23rd of November as well.
0: Really? So we're all Honestly, a bit stupid, people- really. Yeah, what is it with people getting married on Doctor Who's birthday? You've either got very understanding wives or what you think are very understanding wives and you're going to suffer for it later. I think <laughs> probably the latter. Yeah, I suspect oh, um, that might be the case. Uh, if, you know, At the end of the day, you're getting married, you're bound to suffer for it later, aren't you?
2: <laughs> wow.
0: And now we've he said that on the podcast, we've got it in black and white. Yeah.
2: I'll say it to her face. Or blue,
0: as the case may be. <laughs> ah, this, is, this is our blue podcast, isn't it? So far, we're talking about... Yeah, whatever. Uh, one more email, and we will get into talking about season six. This is from uh, Doc Hume and he says, Gentlemen, I thought you'd have a struggle with my question about replacing existing episodes with animation, but the Invasion of the Dinosaurs answer was brilliant. Can't mm. think why it didn't leap out at me. Mm. And yes, it would have to be Hanna-Barbera. Help, help, here come the stegosauri. <laughs> <laughs> the, oh, he's been listening this afternoon to our uh, Missing Episodes podcast as well. Or the first in a trilogy, actually, by the time this comes out. I think it's going to be. He says, but then it's a big enough subject, I think. they quick off the mark, aren't they? <clears throat> they don't oh, know yeah. about. Oh, yeah. He says, the unrestrained joy of the Blue Box podcast team at the return of the Missing Stories was amazing. At one point, I genuinely feared that Simon Roger Moore Brett's left (laughs) eyebrow would disappear into his hairline. (laughs) Oh oh, oh, oh. Oh, yes, he's talking about that moment at the start where I uh, asked you all whether you were trembling in your boots at the news and you all said, "Uh, yeah, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, on the subject of enemy of the world bill kerr was indeed wonderful as giles kent and was a sign of how the show's ambitions declined in the 60s they cast comedians from hancock's half hour in the 80s they cast hail and pace who finally Mm. you were so right about people who are prescriptive about what doctor who should be the nonsense of it can be seen at the end of each doctor's era uh, a fan at the end of William Hartnell's era would expect that Patrick Troughton would have to play the role as a doddery old man in order to be Doctorish. A fan at the end of Patrick Troughton's era would expect that John Pertwee would have to play the role as a cross between a doddery old man and a clown in order to be Doctorish. A fan at the end of John Pertwee's era would expect that Tom Baker would have to play the role as a cross between a doddery old man, a clown and an aging James Bond in order to be Doctorish. <laughs> and so on. Mm. The definition of Doctorish is never static because it's always the summation of all the previous Doctors. In Matt Smith's last scene, Doctorish will mean a combination of the last ten actors plus him. But in Peter Capaldi's first scene, Doctorish will already have been redefined to mean a combination of the last eleven actors plus him. Just imagine what Doctor Who would be today if Patrick Troughton had thought he had to play the Doctor like William Hartnell. Mm. Just imagine Christopher Eccleston clasping the labels all the time, clasping his lapels Lapels. all the time. Again, I'm reading this completely fresh (laughs) without any sort of... He says, just imagine Sylvester McCoy nagging Ace with, just what do you think you are doing, young lady? Hmm? (laughs) (laughs) Just imagine Colin Baker smashing people's heads in with rocks. Actually, that might have worked.
1: It would be a whole different dynamic with Martha as
0: well, wouldn't it? Oh, it certainly would. But that's uh something... Moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doc Hume says, As far as I care, the new star can play the Doctor differently so long as the acting is good and so long as it's a man. <laughs> this
2: is it's his morality. Please. It's his morality that is the central core, isn't it? All the way through.
0: Yes. He just made a joke there about the uh, male versus female thing. Oh,
2: sorry. I missed that one.
0: And then he carries on in parentheses fleas pursued on broomstick by the Verity podcasters and their army <laughs> of flying monkeys. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little blog too. <laughs> and that's from Doc, Doc Whom. He says, PSJR, I expect you to read that last quote in the voice of the Wicked Witch and not in a Yorkshire Exeter monotone. <laughs> and I did.
1: I, w- I was sold on it.
0: Oh, well, I, I was close. Yeah. I was about as close as I'm ever going to get.
1: I think it's a bit rude to um, regard the listeners of the Verity podcast as flying monkeys.
0: Yeah, but we listen to the Verity podcast, don't we? We do. Mm. Perhaps we were the specific flying monkeys he was talking about. Possibly, possibly. Okay, season six. (laughs) This would be...
1: We're doing season six?
0: Yes, we're doing season six. You know exactly what we're doing, Mark. You're mock surprise at what the podcast that i've already mentioned two or three times during the course of this preamble was going to be about is not fooling me
1: i'm betting the one that's been voted top is going to be the wedding and river
0: song simon would you like to do the tumbleweed noise Nice one, Mark. Ooh, thank you. Okay, as soon as you've not seen the scoring, Simon, have you seen, did you watch the votes coming in?
2: No. I had other things to do, like count the so, bubbles in my tea.
0: So neither of you know? No. Well, it's Come on, I'm on hooks here. Okay, this is, okay, we had 23 voters, including the four of us, mm-hmm. which means that, I, and what I did was we didn't vote for the Space Pirates because obviously that one is not something that we can watch. At the moment. And so we did it on the six stories that all mostly exist. Mm -hmm. And so the top top story that everybody voted for, I gave six points, down to one point for the bottom story that everybody voted for. Mm -hmm. In which case, the highest possible vote was 138, and the lowest possible score was 23. Now, the story that came bottom got thirty-four points, which wow. means that yeah, which means that it was voted bottom <laughs> by well at least a dozen of those twenty-three voters, <laughs> if not more. So that was pretty much uh, you know, a done deal from the start that this was gonna come bottom. Uh Well, it's pretty easy to guess what it is in spite of what I said earlier when I was lying about it not being obvious. But Mark Whiteley said it must be noted that I love this season and feel bad for voting the Dominators last. In my opinion, it's the least great of a great bunch. So there you go. In sixth place, the Dominators.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say the Crotons for a
0: minute. Oh, don't be silly. Um, everybody w it was going to be the Dominators it always was wasn't it
1: I've got a soft spot for the Dominators I don't know why
2: do you know visually I really like it
1: you just mm. like all the blokes in skirts don't you
2: well oh, yeah I just like the shoulders I think they're fantastic and I love the quartz.
0: you like the blokes in shirts in skirts shoulders <laughs> <laughs> Simon I think if there's going to be any trouble in your marriage it's not going to be coming from the woman <laughs> yes no, I like yes. I like the um, the dome shoulders. I think they're fantastic. I mean, talk about thinking. on the Dominators. Yes, mm. I a, think they're an interesting look. Well, it's original. And actually, a isn't it? The quarks, the quarks have got an interesting look. and I don't think cute, it really works.
2: They? I like their blocky feet though. I like their chocker block feet.
0: Mm. Yeah, and their and their, their flippy arms, s- square arms.
1: Yeah,
0: well, yeah, they're okay. They kind of I can imagine that they would have made for fun toys they made better toys than they come across on screen, I think.
2: It was a shame they were wasted on that story, really, because you remember that um, black-and-white promotional shot that they did with Patrick Trout with all the different enemies and the Quarks were yeah. there, and I just always thought they were fascinating Yeah. until I saw the Dominators.
0: Mm.
1: I could yeah. see it on a little vehicle in Star Wars with that the Jawas have got in amongst all of their random robots.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. They don't make. They're not. I tell you the one problem with the quarks is they're not very threatening, are they? The voices probably don't
1: help in that respect.
0: Oh I, no. quite, I quite like the voices. <laughs> yeah, but
1: they're not threatening
2: voices. Not are Not threatening.
0: Right? That's the trouble.
2: Yeah, I, I tell my kids off for blowing bubbles in their
0: milkshake for making that noise. Okay. <laughs> Look, the Dominators. It's not a dreadful story. Hmm. It's got certain. It's. Oh I tell you what we talked about the web of fear well last week or the week before and well what I said was it's a brilliantly directed poor script and of course it's the dominators is a script by the same people who wrote the web of fear yeah and obviously I mean the script on the web of fear knocks spots off the script for the dominators so yes it's not the best of scripts but it's fun yeah mm-hmm. And I think if the story that people have voted last can be as fun as The Dominators, it can't be a bad season. No, no. It's an
2: odd choice for a, a season opener, but um, but then this is the time when they Wasn't didn't that, have big, massive openings for seasons, did they, at all? So,
1: And I think also they had a lot of stories that were falling through as well, which didn't help either. Mm. So I think they were saddled with it rather than uh, choosing to open with it.
0: This was the... St- This was the season that... Okay, two things about this season before we get in to start talking about the rest of the stories. Two things about this season. One, I think it's perhaps... Maybe my favourite, or at least the season that I find the most interesting of all the 60s seasons. Hmm. Partly because it's the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe. And after sort of Ian and Barbara and probably their six stories with Vicky rather than the ones with Susan, that would be my ideal 60s TARDIS team. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, yes, the producers during season six didn't seem to know or care what they were doing in terms of gathering the stories together. And to a greater or lesser degree, these stories seem to be what they were left with when everything else was gone, do you know what I mean? Yeah. None of these stories here, I don't think any of these stories are first choice. I mean, let's go through what some of the stories are. The Crotons was kind of flown in after Terrence Dicks had been keeping Robert Holmes on the back burner, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of behind the producers' backs. And when the producers found they had nothing for that slot, Terrence Dicks said, Well, actually, I've got this. And that's where the Crotons came from. We should from. give and him then a go. Course,
1: He's quite a good writer.
0: Mm. And, of course, uh, after the Crotons, it's like, okay, here's a guy who can actually write, get him mm. to do another one quick. The War Games is literally terroristic. As, as they're and, going along. Yeah, making it up as they go along in yeah. order to fill <laughs> ten weeks Bloody where well. something else has disappeared. The Invasion is, um, you know, uh, we look upon it now as... Derek Sherwin's great pilot for, you know, 70s Doctor Who with the Mm. Doctor stranded on Earth. But I mean, at the time, it was a pretty unusual thing for the producer to actually write an eight-week serial in the middle Mm. of a run. Yeah. I think it was the first one that was recorded for season six as well, because the previous stories had been recorded during season five, weren't they? So you're basically starting with something that the producer's written, Mm. and, and this was the season of sort of musical chairs in terms of who was producing and who's yeah. script editing and then you've got the seeds of death which should have been a story by um brian hales and ended up being a script by terence Diggs. it's literally make do and men throughout the whole season mm. i don't think there's anything here that was as they planned it even the mind robber was supposed to be a four-part story that yeah. they tagged a fifth episode onto when the Dominators ran to an episode short after they cut it down, it's all mad. It's just literally making it up as you go along and literally getting something on the screen week after week. But despite all
1: that, it's still good. You know, people still love it.
0: Yeah, I think perhaps in large part due to the team. Wendy Padbury, I think, brings something out of Patrick Trouton and Fraser Hines that Deborah Watling didn't, but having said that, I'm not saying Deborah Watling didn't bring anything out of those two actors, but I think Wendy Padbury comes along and does something completely different. It's a different so dy- dynamic, isn't it? Yeah, the dynamic completely changes when Wendy Padbury turns up, and I think for the better. Well, so, she's allowed
1: to be intelligent rather than just someone who screams every five minutes
0: exactly i think with deborah watling with victoria especially the way the character was written this is not necessarily due to the actress no but it always feels like she's a lead weight around the other characters Mm -hmm. necks. it's like she's kind of whatever they want to you know i said this before about fraser Hines and patrick trout and feel to me like the beatles in help or something Mm -hmm. where they're just (laughs) literally going out and having fun adventures and it always feels like deborah watling or like Victoria, rather, is kind of dragging them back. Whereas with Zoe, you get the feeling that she's like, you know... She's along for the ride. Exactly. Mm. So all of a sudden, you've literally got a season where it is about the TARDIS team going out and having adventures rather than getting stuck in adventures that they don't necessarily want to be having.
2: And, of course, you've got that lovely dynamic, haven't you? The fact that, that Zoe is supposedly a genius and there's almost a competition between her and the doctor so that's uh, that's something that's not been isn't touched upon until sort of romana isn't it quite a lot later
0: and works really well oh i don't mm. know i
1: think liz shaw is pretty pretty smart
0: mm. yeah yeah i think what makes it work with zoe though is that she's supposed to be inverted commas a genius mm. but actually she's just when a regular hits. Yeah, she's just a regular girl. She's like the female equ- female equivalent of Fraser Hines, yeah. who brings out the clever when needed, mm-hmm. and the rest of the time she's just a person having the same fun as the rest of them. She pulls
1: yeah. off a spangly cat suit better than Fraser Hines could.
0: I don't know. I've not actually seen him in it. <laughs> um michael whiteley says i've be- we've got several sort of short messages so i'm going to read one out in between each story mm-hmm. uh michael whiteley says i've barely watched the seeds of death loved the mind robber when i was a kid the dominators is very boring the invasion is good but the lack of cybermen lets it down the crotons i've only seen probably once but i like the design of the crotons The War Games is long and padded, but is good and a very important story in the history of the show. The Space Pirates Episode 2 is just boring. Right, story number five in our rundown, or our run up towards number one, uh, and on 56 votes, which is... um, Oh, that's slightly more than uh, second places from everybody who voted, so that's Mm -hmm. not bad. A little bit more love for this than for the Dominators, perhaps. But in fifth place, would you like to guess?
1: I would say probably the Crotons. Simon,
0: what do you think?
2: I'd like to think it was Seeds of Death, but it will be the Crotons. And it is the Crotons. What did you think of the Crotons? I really like it. I mean, I've got a soft spot for it purely, as I always say, because it was part of the Five Faces of Doctor Who, and it was my first Mm. exposure to Patrick Troughton, and it is a lovely Troughton episode. Uh, with the mannerisms you know the the umbrella when he's first when they first arrive and he's singing to himself and he's holding the umbrella aloft and then he picks up the paper piece of for which you think which I think is a, a really neat little thing is the the little thing that he uses on the sensor later on, and you just think it's oh, yeah. just a gesture that he just picks it up because he think he just looks at and goes hmm, and nothing's said about it hmm. there's no there's but it's no heavy, actually go on.
0: a Schrodinger's cat. Yes, <laughs>
2: or a Chekhov's gun. <laughs> um, but I, 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 really like it, and it's it's a, a pure, um, fun sci-fi idea. This this idea of the hidden away aliens, using and absorbing um, the population. It's all a bit uh, time machine,
0: and it's. It is. It's very time machine. Yeah. Actually.
2: Um, Robert I, Holmes
1: revisits that later, doesn't he, with um, the mysterious planet.
0: And, of course, it's basically what Terry Nation had used for the Daleks years and years before. Mm. Mm. And it's not really a million miles away from where the the Dominators was coming from either. Where you have, you know, hippie society, peace-loving on one side and the Dominators on the other. So it's kind of a... It's almost like... this is perhaps why it suffers. It's almost like a standard Doctor Who story. Mm, mm, and because it's Robert Holmes's first script, he's not using the series yet to tell the stories he wants to tell as opposed to telling the stories he thinks he ought to tell because it's mm, that series. Yeah. Which is perhaps why it's such a standard script. So it's not brilliant. It's nice ideas, it's, I think it's sublimely directed by David Maloney. I think he mm-hmm. does a really good job with what he's got. Mm. And, and like you say, there's some lovely moments at the start. That beach scene in The Enemy of the World that we've all now, of course, yeah. been able to see. See, you've kind of got a little bit of the same sort of thing going on here at the start of the Crotons, haven't mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. I think and, it's,
1: it's rescued by the, the team again. I think Patrick Trouton's great in this. And The whole thing with the intelligence test. The, the little sort of to and fro between him and uh, Zoe, I think, is is very cute. Yeah. Mm. And there's lots of nice little moments like that.
2: And the uh, War of the Worlds sensor coming out of the side. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Attacking yeah, that's the That's a
0: great scene. It, it is. I think that's great. Brilliant. Really well mm. done. I think the only thing, re- again, it's a bit like the Dominators in that w- the one thing that's most apparent about it is the one thing that probably most lets it down, and that's the design of the Crotons. Yeah. They're one of those, mo- yeah. But they're one of those monsters that looks gorgeous in photographs. Yeah. But as soon as they're in motion on the screen, it just looks really clunky. I've got to agree with <laughs> JR on that one. I'm afraid. Sorry, si. mm. Mm. mm You can't disagree, Simon, can you? No. Can you? Okay. No. It's. <laughs> I mean, it looks like a nice design. The trouble is, they don't have the money at this point. They're desperate to get monsters on the screen in pretty much every story if they can. And, I mean, when we get to the Mind Robber, the clockwork soldiers in the Mind Robber, they've just got bits of dark paper sellotaped around their heads really for this, mm. haven't they? We're
2: back to the Kelly Brook opening <laughs> her mouth syndrome, aren't we?
0: Say again? I Kelly Brook opening her mouth? Yeah. Are we back to fellatio?
2: No. <laughs> As in, she looks J-R. lovely and then, and then she opens her mouth.
0: That's... Oh, I see what you're saying. Mm. She looks lovely and then she speaks. Yes. Okay. I'm not entirely sure I've ever heard her speak. I has she been in, like, films and things, hasn't she? I don't she know. Has. Yeah, she, she has. She's, uh, anyway, that's enough about Kelly Brook. Yeah. <clears throat> Should so we move just on? a moment there. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a, a Kelly Brook moment. Yeah. Mm. Are we back on to... No, I'm not going to say it again. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Michael Seeley says, The Seeds of Death. I am prepared to issue a statement explaining my dislike of the latter story through my solicitors. In the meantime, I wish for my privacy to be respected and will prosecute within a metric inch of the law my right to diss the hiss of this 60s piece, despite Miss Kelly's tight trousers. Get off my property before I set a croton hose on you. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice it to say, man. I don't think Michael Seely likes the seeds of death mm. very much. And I completely get what he's saying there, where he's coming from. <sighs> this is one of those really weird ones where I really enjoy it, yeah. but I think it's absolutely dreadful. <laughs> I think
1: there's yeah. a running theme here of, you know, the story's not the best, but <clears> the <throat> people in it make it enjoyable. And,
0: yeah, but uh, the Dominators and the Crotons, I think those are okay stories. Mm-hmm. Not brilliantly executed in the script, but executed much better on the screen. Whereas The Seeds of Death I think is an appalling script that's uh, got some really bad execution in some places. You and did in get a hilarious places, phone
1: party at one point, which is...
0: You know, I'm good. talking more of the really <laughs> slow, yeah. plodding ice Yeah. Well, yeah. Although having and, said
1: that, I think the the guy that gets stuck because oh, I haven't seen it for years, with the guy that gets stuck on the space station or whatever it is. Or is it's it the, brilliant.
0: Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he's I was really just going to say, that was what I was coming to. I was mm. going to say the Ice Warriors on the one hand are dreadful. Yeah. The guy who gets trapped. that well, that is an absolutely astonishing performance. Mm. And that's brilliant. So it's kind of got this weird thing going on between terrible and brilliant. <clears throat> and what it does is it does that terrible thing that I... Uh, the, 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 is the thing that spoils Doctor Who stories for me. Something like the Dominators, right, is telling an allegory. You're not you're supposed to. You're not supposed to believe that it's completely real. That this hippie society has got no ability whatsoever to fight the invading Dominators. Mm-hmm. You know, it's an allegory about. Yeah sort of hippie culture and this kind of thing and like stories that would come later like the happiness patrol and paradise towers where i say they work on a sort of more metaphorical level yeah so the dominators and the crotons for me work on a more metaphorical level and on that level they kind of make sense unto themselves Mm -hmm. and then you've got the seeds of death which prepare has pretensions towards working on a more physical and a more mechanical level. And then you've got something like, you know, episode two, where the Doctor says, oh, yeah, I'll just hop on this rocket and get up to the moon. And, you know, by (laughs) the end of episode two, he's there. That's a journey that would take, you know, weeks, days at the very least.
1: They do like a nice bit of weather control in 60s Doctor Who, don't they?
0: Are you changing the subject, Mark?
1: No, no, I'm just saying it's a bit of a recurring theme.
0: Yeah, it is. And again, that is something that on a mechanical level in this story hasn't been thought through. Mm. I mean, these are the nuts and bolts of this story. If you're going to sort of tell a sort of... I I mean, it's what we would probably call these days a techno-thriller. You know, it's about the mechanics of the world that the story takes place in Mm. and how the sort of invasive element in the story affects the mechanics of the world, which is where the plot comes out of. But if you don't think about the mechanics of the world, I mean, this is what the Dominators gets away with. If you say, right, these people are literally so pacified, they will not fight, then you have to accept that, and that's an element of the plot, and the rest of the logic comes out of that, and it makes sense Mm -hmm. from that perspective. But if you're going to say that in The Seeds of Death you know all forms of transport other than the transmat have been done away with yeah that's pretty weak isn't it it is it's really weak and it undermines your storytelling mm. so although there's lots of fun to be at, it's a it's one of those stories if you turn your mind off no 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 <laughs> let me rephrase that there are some stories the dominators We're back to cabro uh, no but if you turn your brain off for the seeds of death mm. let me say Because your mind is your thinking part and your brain is your understanding part, let's say. You need to have your brain turned off to enjoy the seeds of death. And if you do, it's a perfectly pleasant experience. (coughs) See, Lee would probably
1: vote this one quite highly because he likes his futuristic costumes. And they're wearing those hideous jumpsuits. They look like they're wearing their Y-fronts on the outside.
0: They look bloody all, mm, mm. especially oh, I can't remember the actor's name—the one from *Revenge of the Cybermen* who, oh dear, oh, dear oh dear, <laughs> he looks—and yes, why would they do that? Oh Lord, it's the future, Jr. Everyone wears like that. And what?
1: and
2: yet again, this is one of those stories where you can pick and choose any monster and just stick it in there because there's a, mm. no reason for them to be Ice Warriors at all. No, well, no, you know.
1: not other than. The fact that Hayesman and Lincoln probably owned the rights to the Ice Warriors and thought, hmm. Yes. Hales. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. Was
0: it Hales, so it's, was it? Brian Hales. Brian Hales, Brian Hales oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. But I, but then, you know, I can put this story on um, while away, two and a half hours, in, and have a perfectly pleasant time with it. So, mm-hmm. Which is perhaps what I'm saying about season six here, is that you know, the best and the worst of it is never less than entertaining and never less than interesting.
1: Yeah, you did get the impression that they had quite a lot of fun making it. There's that little video clip of, I think it's Patrick Troughton trying to shut a security door when all the foam's coming through and you can see Wendy Padbury almost cracking up and they're falling about mm. all over the place. It's, <laughs> I It's think just knockabout fun.
0: I think it's fair to say the people who were working on the screen had more fun making it than the people who were behind the screen, mm-hmm. because I think for everybody else it was a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> and that probably comes out of Derek Sherwin. But moving on.
2: Oh, can I just quickly ask? Was oh, the, go on. What was the? Re- it was one of the, v- the early VHS releases, wasn't it? Was there a reason why it was one of the first? I swear it is. I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I think they—I don't know—I seem to recall that they were interested in the sort of first half dozen releases of covering as many doctors and monsters as they could. Yeah, and I don't suppose you would have done... had that much choice, would you?
1: Have mm. no. So happens.
0: you had Tom Baker and the Cybermen, and Pertwee and the Daleks, and then after that, <clears throat> Patrick Droughton. All you've really got then is the Ice Warriors. In the Seeds of Death, because, uh, you know, the Yeti, Mm. those stories Mm. don't exist. Mm. Uh, Cybermen's already covered in Revenge of the Cybermen, and at that point, none of his Cybermen stories existed either. Mm. And, of course, the Ice Warriors' first appearance, two episodes missing. In fact, when the VHS came out, I think the whole story was missing, wasn't it? I think that was found afterwards. Mm. Okay. I might be wrong, so... No, I think you're right there. It's literally a case of... A doctor and a monster that hadn't been covered at that point. Mm, Okay. Anyway, Tristan Alfaro says, very hard to pick a preference out of The Invasion, The Mind Robber, and The War Games. Oh, because we're moving into our top three now. Mm -hmm. He says, and yes, those are our top three, of course. He says the Seeds of Death is probably two episodes too long and feels quite slow which is ironic considering that the War Games doesn't feel too slow. Sure it's very obviously padded out but the change in location every couple of episodes really makes the War Games feel like it's constantly moving. However the War Games will not be our next story the story that came third in our vote and which gathered 99 votes well would you two like to try and guess again? Invasion. Mark.
1: Um, uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, go on, The Invasion.
0: Nope, it's The Mind Robber. Ooh. Oh. <clears throat> I think The Invasion's popular on account of it being Douglas Camfield directing a proto-unit Cyberman story. Hmm. The Invasion's always been massively popular amongst amongst the kind of fans, well, we'll get to it in a minute, but I think it's popular among the kind of fans that like their Season 7s and their Caves of Androzani and so on. Mm-hmm. Anyway, The Mind Robber, well, what did you think?
1: I love The Mind Robber. I think it's such a departure from anything else I can think of from that era. Um, again, I know it's all kind of cobbled from together. That from that
0: era? The 60s. From any era, wouldn't you say?
1: Mm. Well, yeah, I suppose. I suppose. It is
0: a it's one-off. A, uh, nearest it's a thing complete, to us, Celeste, yeah. toy
2: maker, isn't it, really?
0: I think it's a complete radical departure for all of Doctor Who, to be honest. Yes, you're right, Celestial Toymaker's the nearest thing, mm. but those two themselves are pretty much poles apart. Mm. I don't know, yeah, there's some big similarities, I guess, but Mind Robber feels like there's nothing else like it. Mm. Go on, Mark.
1: Yeah, I think there's something magical about it. Obviously, you've got that whole sort of being transported to the land of fiction. Um which appeals to me. And you've got a pretty cool villain in it, the Master, but not the one we'd expect to see if you've come to this after
0: seeing the new series. Um, Are you saying this because Lee's not here? I don't know, am I? Because that would be his retcon. Oh,
1: really? Okay. Well, well, well no, I'm always... saying it's not the Master.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying, is he always looks at things through the prism of what came afterwards. Ah, mm, oh, bless him.
1: Hmm. Um, yeah. It's just that the the first episode is just amazing. I know it's something they sort of worked (laughs) out within the space of 10 minutes
0: and just... You know, a few weeks ago, I asked the members of this podcast. um, Well, I didn't ask. I read out somebody's email asking if we thought that the Mind Robber could be done... Or, you know, something similar to mm. or a version of could be done on modern budgets in the modern series. Mm-hmm. And it struck me afterwards that you were all talking about just the first episode. You were all saying yeah. how it would be nice to get the new series to do a completely white blank space. That's not even part of Peter Ling's script. <laughs> I was talking about the land of fiction yeah. stuff. Mm. With all I was the about of letters and yeah. things. And, you know, doing recreations of children's stories and mm. nursery rhymes and fairy yeah. tales and stuff. That would be the interesting thing to try and do on today's modern budgets and, you know, with modern techniques, wouldn't it? It wouldn't work, uh, though,
2: because kids don't read books anymore, do they?
0: Um, kids have books read to them, though, <laughs> yeah. at a young age. I think kids still know the stories. Mm. Look, if you could do a more expensive version of something that perhaps looked a bit like a slightly more daylit version of um, Night Terrors, Mm. crossed with a mind robber,
2: can you imagine? Yeah, Yeah. I can. I can. It's funny, you. I think we
1: focus so much on the first episode because it is such a striking visual episode. There's not that much plot going on there, but there's lots of images that you take with you.
0: Yeah, but I think there's even more in the rest of it. Or mm. especially in episodes two and three, perhaps. Two, three, and four. But th- to be honest, though, mind Robert, it's a load of nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> they got
1: Peter. Pieces-
0: I know, they got Peter Ling to come in and write this script. They said, we need you to write a script for Doctor Who. And he said, OK, what's Doctor Who? And they said, well, it's a sort of children's series where, you know, there's these three people who live in a box that can go anywhere. And he's obviously thinking, three people that live in a box can go anywhere? Sounds like a fairy story or a nursery rhyme. And that's what he writes. And it doesn't have anything to do with any Doctor Who that's ever been. And it doesn't make any kind of sense—not scientific sense. It's just literally—it's magic on the screen, isn't it? Mm. And that's wonderful, isn't that wonderful? Mm. It, I think it,
2: it's got a rationale to it, isn't it? There is a, a logic to how it's all happening.
0: Well, there's a logic to why it's all happening, but not how.
2: No, well, no, obviously, but. You know, with the master at the top of it all, it kind of it resolves itself at the end to say this is why it's all happening, because it all falls apart at the end, because it's all being created by mm. his mind, blah, blah, blah.
0: Well, that's um, it. It's all being created by his mind. Yeah. I mean, you can't get much more Wizard of Oz than that, can you? <laughs> he woke up and it was or, all a dream. Yeah, it's Wizard of Oz, Alice in Wonderland territory, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And Doctor Who shouldn't go into that territory, should it? Which is perhaps why the invasion's been voted higher than the mind robber. But as far as I'm concerned, not only can it, it should, mm. and it should do so far more often than it does. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. I thought we'd have more of that kind of stuff under Stephen Moffat,
1: and I mean we've had we started in of, that vein, didn't it, mm. in series five, because that was quite fairy tale.
2: Well, the whole thing of um, bringing back people back from outside of the time stream, just through remembering them, is is oh yeah, very much so.
0: Yeah. I think season six did, I think what Stephen Moffat's done, to go off at a slight tangent, in season five, series five, sorry, he did kind of, he did the fairy tale as a fairy tale Mm -hmm. with a slight science fiction element. And then in series six, he did science fiction as fairy tale. So you've got things like The Girl Who Waited that feels like a fairy tale, but is actually kind of also a hard science fiction concept. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the God Complex and other stories like that. Yeah. They all feel like that to me. Season, series 5, fairy tale as science fiction. Series 6, science fiction as fairy tale. So it's like the obverse of the same coin. And then, of course, with Series 7, he's done this whole movie thing, which is Doctor Who going into the anniversary, which is obviously a lot different. Although you kind of also still got the fairy tale element there, especially once Clara comes into the picture. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, the mind-robber, I think that's three thumbs up from us, is it Absolutely, not? Absolutely, yeah. Right, we're kind of racing through these pretty quick now, aren't we? We're getting there. Hmm. Richard Judge says, Trying not to be negative, but I've never been too keen on number six. <clears throat> By which I think he means the series, the season. Right. Within the season, there are some brilliant... Obviously, it doesn't mean the Doctor, because I don't think anybody's been that keen on Doctor number six. Certainly not his televisual... Incarnation, so there would be no need really to point that out, would there?
1: <laughs> I think he's been redeemed by Pink Finish, <clears throat> but that's for another show.
0: Yes. Okay, Richard Judge says within the season there are some brilliant episodes that I absolutely love Dominators 1, Mind Robber 1, Invasion 8, Seeds 3, War Games 1 and 10. But really, every story is at least one episode too long. Mostly two or three, in the case of the invasion and the war games, I can't really say the same of seasons four and five, where I think every episode earns its place. I think he's
1: I think he's the probably, ice warriors can be a bit plodding
0: I don't know, but I think in terms of the stories being too long, hmm. I think he's probably got a point. I think they were yeah. stretching these I think they were stretching these stories out because they were struggling to find stories. So they were just making the stories they had as long as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. I mean, I so love the prob-
1: invasion, but it does seem mm-hmm. padded.
0: Yeah, he's prob- so he's probably right in that respect. I think it's because of the central team and because of the people who are directing these stories that actually, I don't think the stories do outstay their welcome. I think they fill the space. They might be filling more space than they really do, but I think they're filling that space brilliantly. mm even the Seeds of Death. Like I said, I can happily sit down and watch that for two and a half hours and not feel it's too long. It's just the story itself that uh, makes my brain ache. <laughs> um. So, we've got two stories left. One of them came second with 105 votes. and um, One of them came first with 113. So actually, if you've been listening to the number of votes the stories have had, this was probably pretty much a done and dusted deal. There are a few people who voted, you know, against the flow, but for the most part, these stories were in their positions right throughout. And the only thing that was going to be was how many points were between them. So, in second place, what do you think it was? The War Games or the Invasion? Oh, it's got to be the Invasion, surely. Yeah, I agree. And it is
2: so, so. bloody predictable. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. Mm. It like I was saying just now, though, I think it fills its space beautifully. Yeah, I think those first four episodes where it's kind of, uh, <clears throat> well, it's kind of back in enemy of the world territory, really, isn't it? Mm-hmm. People think of the enemy of the world as a one-off, but that's only because the Cybermen turn up halfway through the invasion. Up until that point, it's yeah. really not all that different at all.
1: They really do hold off introducing them, don't they, for mm. quite some time?
0: Yeah, and brilliantly so because. Mm. When the Cybermen turn up, it's not like the War Games, where the War Games goes on for ten episodes, and the first two episodes and the very last episode are kind of apart, and the seven in the middle are basically just treading water to a certain extent, mm-hmm. advancing certain elements of the plot, but not in the way a sort of four part story would do, advancing the whole plot in one go. But the invasion, that's a real game-changing moment halfway through, and it does turn the tone and focus of the entire story.
1: I can imagine it being quite exciting when it first transmitted, because obviously back then they didn't know the Cybermen were going to be in it when they were watching it, so...
0: Apart from the Radio Times giving the game away. Oh, did they... And there were trailers, I think, as well. Mm. <laughs> I've got to say, though, I think those, if there was Radio Times and trailers, and I'm pretty sure there was at least one of those, if not both, mm. I think they went out before the first episode. So I think a month later, when you got to episode four, people had probably forgotten that they were expecting the <laughs> men to be in it. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's one of those, it's like um, Sontarans in the Invasion of Time, isn't it? Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's just definitely got that wow factor. Having said that, I think Kevin Stoney um, is... If if there's ever a, a, an enemy that's come in just for one story that can hold his own above and beyond the likes of the Cybermen and the Daleks, I think he's absolutely brilliant in this. Mm.
0: And, of course, now that they've found the whole of the Daleks' master plan, we'll be able to relive a very similar performance yeah, from Mavic the same Chen. actor all over again. Fantastic. Can't wait. <laughs> Uh, um, what? and in case anybody didn't realise what that uh, um, was in aid of uh, that's just fans getting over excited about nothing on forums oh, no uh, the invasion it's yes it's probably too long yes it fills the time beautifully uh, what do we think of it in terms of and this is one of those things where You know, people complain about the Deadly Assassin because of the Time Lord stories that came afterwards, but the Deadly Assassin itself was brilliant, but it's kind of tarnished Mm -hmm. by the brush of what came afterwards. And people, some people look at the invasion and it's kind of tarnished by the, this was the template for Pertwee, and so it gets kind of lumped in the same category as the Pertwee stories, especially by people who are not particularly fond of that whole Earth invasion thing. But I don't think you should judge something like The Deadly Assassin by what comes afterwards. Mm. Having said which, Derek Sherwin wrote The Invasion deliberately as a test run for the John Pertwee era. So there's kind of a different aesthetic going on there. It's a pilot for a new series almost.
1: Mm. Mm. We do have a lot of those ingredients that you see in the sort of unit years of
0: Pertwee. Yeah. do you know what though mm. The Invasion is a pilot for a new version of Doctor Who and it's successful and it works because as we all know the series could have been cancelled at the start of John Pertwee's tenure mm. and wasn't because they made such a good job of it but The War Games feels like a pilot for a new version of Doctor Who and isn't is that a shame
2: hmm
0: Wow, I'd never thought of it in that way. No. Well, you know, the invasion sets up a Doctor Who that's going to be tethered to Earth and bound to the home counties Mm. and will have, you know, invading monsters from outer space. Mm. And Unit. The War... yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Unit, of course, as well. But the War Games sets up, or, you know, feels like it could set up, a series in which... Well, look at what the War Games contains. There's a master race who... It's not about monsters anymore. It's about this master race Mm -hmm. who are... Sort of behaving like the the Greek or Roman gods. Yeah. And, you know, moving mankind around at their will to do their bidding. uh, And sort of taking different parts of history and putting them together in order to achieve their ends. Can you imagine if Season 7 had been sort of 24 weeks of mankind all eras of its history thrown together under the control of some superior beings like the um the uh, creatures the eternals from the enlightenment from enlightenment mm, yeah or like the guardians from the key to time season or Imagine- in the galaxy Hmm. Imagine if that's what they'd set up as the template for Season Mm. 7, and Season 7 had been more like that. Imagine the war games, essentially, with a bit more to it, obviously, Mm. spread across 24 weeks in full colour with John Pertwee. I
1: think a lot of those episodes... I mean, Caves of Androzani is another one where those stories work so well because they are quite different different. from what goes around them, um, and particularly... With Androzani, they try to replicate it so much the following year that it all goes a bit pear shaped. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the charm of those sorts of stories is that they are different from the norm. Mm. I'm not sure whether it would have worked on a on a twenty four week turnover. I'm not
0: sure about that. Oh, the war games you mean. Yeah. Well, it works for ten, and I mean that's ten weeks of. Well, this is that's ten weeks of one storyline, right? Mm -hmm. That one storyline goes through the entire ten weeks, or the first nine. Now, if you could do something using, see, this is what I'm saying. The invasion is one story for eight weeks, right? When you get to season seven and eight and nine, Mm -hmm. you've actually got different stories for six weeks at a time. Yeah but using the same template of it being the doctor working with unit to fight whatever the threat is Mm -hmm. so i'm saying if you'd use the war games as a template you'd still have four and six part stories and in each one of those stories the eternals or the guardians or whatever you choose to call them the warlords Mm -hmm. set up a threat or a mystery or you know some kind of a problem yeah. And the problem continues for four or six weeks as the doctor and his companions get through that story, and then once they resolve that, then the next thing starts. Mm, well, I'm, I'm not just sure saying, you could
1: sustain that though.
0: No, oh, I don't know. They sustained unit.
1: Yeah, I suppose. I suppose. And don't get me wrong. You know, if you had a another year of Troughton doing that type of story, I would be quite happy with that.
0: Mm-hmm. Then I'm not the world's I'm only biggest Bertie fan. I'm only saying take Unit and the Brigadier out of the equation and mm-hmm. put the Warlords and the War Chief in instead, so that your so that your regulars, instead of being the good guys on the Doctor's side, are mm. the bad guys that he's fighting against, and that's not a million miles away from what happened in season eight.
1: I suppose not. So you know, there's just one. Own... I think we might be talking about a totally different show. Well, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Thirty odd years down saying... the line.
0: That's what I'm saying. I'm saying the Invasion was definitively a pilot for something Mm. that would be along. I'm just saying I wonder, you know, in another universe, if the War Games had been instead, because the War Games feels like it is, Mm. just as much as the Invasion does, you know, how Doctor Who mightn't have turned out. And of course that could have run for two or three years and then changed again, just like it did in the unit years. Yeah. Anyway, Alno says... uh. I'm going to do these in reverse order. He's written them in running down, but I'm going to run up. Okay. He says in sixth. He's in sixth place. He says the Dominators, conspiracy theory, picking on pacifists in '68. Still, at least it's not a six-parter. <laughs> uh, in fifth place, he puts the Crotons. Mm-hmm. Five faces of delusion. Robert Holmes hides an interesting idea under an unsympathetic production, and then Philip Maddock turns up. Yay, Maddock. absolutely and of course he's in the war games as well yes um in fourth place alno's got the mind robber possibly the most important piece of television since the chase Stop sighing at the back (laughs) the cover version by promethea in her first album track six is intriguing i've no idea what he's talking about there but we'll just have to take it on trust he says, who'd have thought a TV comic strip would still be relevant yesterday? Pretentious double meaning and odd punctuation intended, said Al. Right. Not a fan In, <laughs> <laughs> In third place, the seeds of death. Tense stuff. Stop laughing at the back. Alan Bennion acts his helmet off and there's yeah. a welcome return for the Fab Five's fungal foam. <laughs> uh, number two, the invasion. Packer. And then the Saturn turn up. Oh, I love that. Oh, and in first place, the War Games, it's got everything. And then Philip Maddock turns up. Yeah. So the War Games, guys. 113 out of a possible 138, which means... That's pretty good going. Mm. Yeah, which means, you know, I think as a modal average, it must have been everybody's number one.
1: If I think, you've... Simon, you chose this as your representative choice for a classic series, didn't you, when we did that episode a few weeks ago?
2: Yes, I did, yeah. I think it's 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 a minor miracle that it manages to hold up for ten episodes like it does.
1: Yeah, and when you consider what they went through to actually get it to the screen as well.
2: Yeah. If somebody described it to me and said, well, they're kind of travelling through all these different <clears throat> time zones over ten episodes, i think, oh, blimey you know, will it work? But as I've always said, I watched it in pretty much one sitting and it worked. And I know that's not the way you should watch it, but it worked.
0: It feels like, to more of an extent than any other Doctor Who story, and I've said the similar kind of thing before, it feels like a series like, say, Lost. Mm -hmm. Probably not the best example I could give, but I'm trying to think of an example where... There is a story that goes through the whole season, and more so, it's not just an arc that goes through the whole season, there's a story that goes through the whole season. So you got a backstory each... and
1: they're drip-feeding it through to
0: you. Yeah, no, no, it's not a backstory, it's the front story. Mm-hmm. The story in Lost, Lost is a serial. It's not a series where it's a different story every week. It's a serial where it's the same story every week, just yeah. a different problem that's a part of that main story. Mm-hmm. So, in each week, there will be a task to accomplish, but they're all part of the greater story, which is a completely different thing from having separate stories with an arc. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Except because. the War Games doesn't pull the rug from underneath you, having watched the whole thing.
0: Right. I can't say I've watched. It does
1: a bit, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> well, I've not watched Lost to the end, so I'm only going by you know, the first couple of seasons. But my point being, the War Games feels very similar. In mm-hmm. that, there's a story that's going on through the whole thing. Yeah. But what the writers do after about the third episode, when they realise they've got a lot of water to tread, is they throw little problems in. Mm-hmm. So that it becomes about overcoming each of the little problems. And each time they overcome a problem, their bigger story moves forward a little bit.
1: Yeah,
0: And like I was saying earlier in the podcast, it's not... Like, you overcome a problem, and the whole story moves forward a big jolt, so you can get to your episode 4 where you resolve it. But it's you solve a little problem, and the story moves forward a little bit, and then the following week, same again. So the whole thing is moving the whole time. Unlike, say, a four-parter, where episode 3 may be treading water and because you know, there's less story to tell and there's less things moving forward. Mm -hmm. You literally do get an episode where nothing happens apart from the lead actors going around in a circle in order not to get to episode four before you get to episode four. (laughs) But in the war games, you never get that sense of them having to stop and find something to do because each one of the little tasks that they do get set does move the story forward that little bit as you understand something more about the plot or something more about the relationships between the characters Hmm. or behind the plot, and you get a step closer to resolving it and solving it as well. Because this is something that needs solving rather than just, you know, in Seeds of Doom style, throwing a bomb at it. Mm
1: -hmm. I know uh, you perhaps don't hold Terence Dix in quite the same esteem as someone like Robert Holmes, but I think he deserves a lot of credit.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I think he's a brilliant storyteller. Mm. It's just that his stories are all a little bit too last of the summer wine for me. <laughs>
1: I don't remember the Doctor escaping in a, a bathtub going down the side of a hill.
0: No. You've obviously never seen The Mark of the Rani. Though. Oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: Touché.
2: Let's face it, though. It is, it's a bit of a stroke of genius on multiple levels. The the fact that it is this big story uh, as a swan song, swan song to Patrick Troughton, um, mm. also the big reveal of the Time Lords at the end, this whole 10-episode thing leading into it that also per- perfectly sets them up for the Pertwee era as well. Mm. So, you know, the the way it's all articulated is, is beautiful, really. Very, very clever. And, you know, everyone complains about story arcs now, but that's quite a big thing. That's a pretty hefty chunk of a series, uh, with a big arc that leads into the next series, and um, it's just beautifully done.
0: And there's also, <clears throat> you know, the thing about the regeneration, and of course, it's not known as regeneration yet because obviously this is mm.
1: this is it's still early days, isn't it? Really. Well, this
0: is where the series has its first chance to consolidate what it is and what it means. And you know, like I was saying about the Tenth Planet a few weeks mm-hmm. ago, this again really fudges the issue. Although, unlike with the 10th planet, I don't think it's as in ill-defined a fudge. But what I'm saying is, in the 10th planet, the Doctor gets old and changes his body. You know? It's, and every regeneration since the War Games has been the Doctor gets injured and replaces his body. Mm. Yeah. But the first two are entirely different. Mm. In the very first one, he gets old, so he, re- re- he replaces his body. In the second one, he gets in trouble... And he has his body replaced for him. Yeah. So still, by the time you get to the changeover to John Pertwee and Tom Baker, I realise again I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, <laughs> but I don't care. I'm having <laughs> that what we tangent. Do. Yeah. <clears throat> so that is 11 years later, or 10 years later. You know, the change from John Pertwee to Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. So it's not until you actually get the fourth Doctor that, even the program makers, let alone the audience, know what regeneration is. I've said it before that Barry Letts sets that template down. He sits down, he thinks about it, he works out in his mind what it is, what it means, what it's all about, and does it. But the important thing with the War Games is they had a chance to do that then. They had a chance. They knew Patrick Trout was going. They knew they were going to replace him because the precedent has been set to do that. But you can't do what's happened before and say, oh getting a bit old in this body now, must get yeah. myself a new one. So they have to think up something different. Mm-hmm. And again, this is probably Derek Sherwin and I'm sure Terence Dix, having been involved also with uh, Barry Lett's one that does set the template down, I'm sure Terence Dix had further ideas other than, right, we'll get the Time Lords to change him. And I'm sure that's what they collectively settled on as the solution. Mm. And that's probably because... You know, to my mind, and I don't want to say this is definitive because I don't know this to be true, but this is how it appears to me, but I think Derek Sherwin doesn't have the guts to put his stamp on the show to the extent of saying, right, this is what it is. If Terrence says to him, maybe, I want to do the Time Lords changing in this time, Derek Sherwin says, yeah, okay, doesn't have the foresight to think, no, actually, we can sit down, work out what it means, work out you know, how the precedents we set now will Mm. affect the future of this program. Because if this program is to go on and more changes are going to need to take place, we need to set a template that can be used again. Because neither now of the first two templates can possibly be used again, except by repetition.
1: I suppose in terms of what it sets up for the next season, it has a logic to it in as much Mm. as he needs... Something greater, more powerful than him to stick That's him what on I mean. Yeah, Their thinking
0: but... is small scale, yeah. short term, yeah, rather than large scale, long term. <clears throat> it's like, like so many things in season six, the sort of regeneration, for want of a better word, at the end of the war games, mm-hmm. is a quick fix, a bandaid over something, yeah, a bandaid over something that needs stitches. Do you know That's what I mean? It's beautiful, mm.
2: yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> I have That's to say, I know thought. we've
1: had all the excitement of you know, the enemy of the world coming back and Web of Fear, but it, I'm just so happy that we've had this story for all these years to, to be able to go back and watch. Because mm-hmm. it is the, a, a classic.
0: Oh, the war games, yes. Mm. Oh, absolutely. You know, given all the stories from Patrick Trout and Zero that don't survive, yeah. who ever thought that the 10-episode finale mm. would what are the chances
1: of that?
0: Yeah. And yet it does. And mm. yes, I think we all... Well, I think I speak for all of us when I say we all absolutely love it. Mm. Yeah. and we, uh, And that's mad, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, the Tenth Planet, Planet of the Spiders, the stories that kind of, in some ways, set out to be classics. I'm not saying they set out to be classics, but they set out to be the stuff whereof classics are made. Yeah don't usually achieve that kind of greatness. Mm. And it's the ones like this, where they're literally just making it up as they go along. Or like the Caves of Androzani, where Robert Holmes sets out to do a quiet regeneration story. And those are the ones that live on, aren't they? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know? Absolutely, yeah.
0: Planet of the Spiders, for all the good things that it does, does just as many, if not more, bad things. And its reputation has suffered as a result. Mm.
1: There are some nice ideas in there, but... Mm it's yeah a bit
0: bloated indeed <laughs> right i think that was season six then um i don't know either of you got any final thoughts on season six
1: ah oh, it just watching trout and again it just makes you wish for more of it to turn up so mr morris mm. if you're out there looking <clears throat> we'll have some more please <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: indeed <laughs> Simon, anything to add to that? No, it'd be nice to see a bit more Wendy Padbury, wouldn't it? But um, There's not the, much there more Wendy much... Padbury to be. <laughs> yeah, no, he's wheeling space and that's about it, isn't it? Funny how space everyone... Pirates and wheeling space. Well, yeah, everyone steers away from Space Pirates. And,
0: uh... I'd love to see I'd still space watch pirates. it. Yeah, yeah you would to say. It was the last thing, pretty much, I guess, that Robert Holmes wrote before Spearhead from Space. Mm. Mm. So even if it's not very good... And I can't imagine from one minute that it's as awful as its reputation suggests. But even if it's not very good, I cannot imagine it's as bad as it's made out to be.
2: Yeah, and you see, the cast actually looks pretty good from what you can see of it. Mm. That's what doesn't make sense. I quite sense. like
0: the episode that we've got, i rather like. A bit like I rather liked um, episode three. Well, I absolutely loved, actually, episode three of The Enemy of the World. And the rest even if of it was wasn't even that
1: representative of the story as a whole, though, was it, really?
0: No, exactly. And I just wonder exactly how representative mm. episode two is of the Space Pirates.
1: Yeah. Well, I would dearly love to find out.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, I already summed up season six back at the start of the podcast, but and throughout the whole, but for make, do, and mend, it's mm. such tremendous fun. Yeah. There's not a single episode that exists from this season that I'm... You know, that I find anything less than utterly entertaining. Mm. Mm. Okay, then. I was JR. I was Mark.
2: And I was Simon.
0: And we'll speak again soon.